good to see everybody here this morning. <clears throat> I'm tired, to be honest with you. I'm tired. We had a, we went and uh, did a relay for life yesterday. I don't know if you've ever been part of anything like that. It started at 9 a.m. It ends at 9 a.m. It ended at 9 a.m. this morning, and so it's like 24-hour relay for life. American Cancer Society. My, my father has leukemia, and so we went to support him. And lots of family members came into town from different parts of um, really the West here. Uh, Vegas, Northern California, and and uh, to support him, and we were all sporting our Giants colors because we're all big Giants fans from Northern California originally, and and we were we were it's really neat. Just you know, every once in a while you get up and walk another mile, or jog a mile, or or maybe jog a, a lap, or maybe jog a few feet, you know, depending on what you want to do. And, and there was a widespread of of walking and jogging and running, and and it was just a really neat way to support and come alongside people as they're working through. Um, cancer and, and and it was great for for us as a family to be able to support my dad and, and my kid get my kids involved in that and just see what God um, is doing even in amongst our family as God works in our family and so uh, a lot of fun then we rushed back to Riverside for a baseball game at at, uh, at five and then the neighborhood party that our church had and then we decided to go back to LA after all that got back to LA around nine ish and then stayed there till right around midnight and drove home and and so it was a really full day, <laughs> and so, um, but a really good day. So, um, we're gonna we're gonna pray one more time, and then, and uh, we'll continue. Father, I just ask you to guide our guide our time, guide this portion of our service as we look at your word. We really want to hear from you, and learn from you. So, God, speak to us through your word. It's, its truths penetrate our hearts, and they they scratch away at things that need to be. Uh, uncovered in our lives. So I pray that right now you would use this to just stir our hearts towards the things you want to draw out. Lord, we, we all come with, you know, some of us tired, some heavy-hearted, and just different things going on in our lives. We, we just, we uh, entrust all of what's going on in our lives to you right now, in this moment. We trust these things to you, God. You're the God who's faithful. Um, you're worthy of all of our praise and focus, even. So we give it to you right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to continue this series. We started this last week. And our goal for this series, called Recovering the Image, is really to look at what is God's design for family life? What is God's design for manhood and womanhood? Um, how has God uh, wired together these areas? And uh, Genesis one twenty seven is the verse that we kick things off with. It says this. So God, this is in the creation. So first book of the Bible, um, creation of really all things. When God comes to, to make man, this is what we learn in, in Genesis one twenty seven. It says, so God created man in his own image. That really has to do with humanity. In the image of God, he created him, but then the genders. Male and female, he created them. The word man there is different from the word male, and the word female is different from the word uh, male. So there's unique Hebrew words here. And what we're looking at is, how did God make us? How did he make us? And the fact that we've been made in his image, in the image of God, that's why we're calling this recovering the image, because we need to, we need to recover back what has been um, difficult to get clarity on. You know, it's difficult for us in this culture, in this time, to really see clearly who we are, who God has made us to be. But, but when we look at God's original design, all of that can provide tremendous clarity on these issues that we're looking at this morning. Trying to figure out the best life um, and the best way to, to make life work is kind of like putting a puzzle together, um, but without a picture. I've used this um, illustration before. If you, if you have like a big Ziploc bag full of puzzle pieces, 
and you're not sure if it's all from one puzzle. <laughs> it's a little frustrating. You see some other things, you're like, I'm not sure that goes in there. That shape, shape's a little different. It's a little thicker puzzle piece. And you're like, dang, where's the, where's the box? Because without the box, I mean, the picture of the box really helps, doesn't it? To see what we're trying to build, what we're trying to construct. In the Bible, we have this ability to see the picture. We get to see the whole picture uh, of what God is doing. We get to see God's ideal for our lives and for how life flows best. Most of us, we choose a picture to follow our life and to, to build a life upon. Um, there's different sources of guidance. You might use, um, you know, education, the media. Some people follow the picture box of, of, of what comes up on, you know, TV and some follow the picture box of, box of how they were raised through their upbringing. Some follow the picture that was uh, painted through some religious um, experience or religious you know, movement. Um, some choose the Bible. That this is the picture. And so, it, you know, and I would say many of you here, you, you're trying to build a life based on what God has designed. And, and maybe you'd even say, that's exactly why I'm here. Well, we have to decide which picture we're going to use to build towards. We have to make that decision for ourselves. And maybe you're using multiple pictures. And so um, last week, was as we looked at the original design, we looked at God's plan for marriage and for family life and how God designed marriage to exist between one man and one woman. Till death do us part. Can, you can read about that in Genesis chapter 2. But God's desire is for men and for women to fill the earth together. You, know, they, they, you can't do that without both those parts. Again, you can talk to your mother about that later. Or your father about that later. But, but this whole, what, what we learn in the Scripture, God is, is there, there also is this sense of filling the earth. Part of that is, that includes a deep commitment to raise godly children who will impact this, this, this earth, this, these cities, and that there would be generations upon generations that flow from God's plan, His original plan. We're not just like all of a sudden the civilized society that's figured things out. This is what God has designed when He made man. He made them male and female. So today what we want to do is look at specifically manhood. Next week we'll look at uh, womanhood and, and how... And really, uh, my wife's going to be sharing a little bit with, with us as well. As I, as I teach, she's going to come up and try to help illustrate some of what I'm talking about. And um, that will really help you ladies, I believe. Um, according to the Bible, though, men and women are given different wiring. You know this. And different strengths. Um, uh, there's different strengths that, that men have. And there's different strengths that ladies have. And these are by design. These are like two puzzle pieces that fit together. This is the picture that we read in the Bible where it says that the two have become one. That there's two that join together to become one. This is the picture of two puzzle pieces that join together. Men are not supposed to be like women. Women are not supposed to be like men. God has designed us differently. Yet today, more than ever, the lines have been blurry regarding genders and roles and men and women, the strengths of men and the strengths of women that God, really, He built those in to complement each other like the puzzle piece, to fit together. Those, those strengths have become the very things that generate the, the most tremendous opposition and frustration with the opposite sex, aren't they? 
the things that make us different are the things we get most frustrated about. Why? Well, when God created Adam, he formed the general template for all men in Adam. Next week we'll look at that template for women. But there are some clues to manhood in the first few chapters of the Bible. Adam, um, when it talks about when God made man, the word Adam, or the name Adam, really is the Hebrew word Adam. It actually it refers to mankind and, and humanity. But his name, it, it really grows up out of, uh, it's tied closely to another Hebrew word, which is Adamah. So, Adam, Adamah. So, Adam, the man, Adamah means the ground. And so, not only was Adam, what, he was formed out of the dust of the ground, so it indicates where we came from, but also, it's, it's tied to the word ground because this is also part of a man's focus, to get dominion, to get, take authority in the work world. That this, this, there's a ground to be tilled. There's a ground to be uh, treaded down upon. There's, there's weeds that are going to come up. There's problems. There's thorns. There's thistles. We're going to be, we're going to be working the ground. And so there, we're workers of the ground in a sense. Um, so in the first few chapters of Genesis, if you study really the wording and you understand the storyline early on and you see this through the scripture, you discover a few things. This is in your listening guide. Men are made to be this. Men are made to go out into the world with humble competent intention to do good. This is part of what we've been made to do. We've been designed to take ground. We've been designed, designed to um, yeah, take ground, to make progress, to work. Um, secondly, God, may, men have been made to do this, to accomplish something significant in a resistive and competitive environment. Isn't that true? Like, it's never, you never have a, I mean, you rarely have weeks of easy work, right? Where you're like, man, this is a breeze. There's always, there's always problems that crop up. There's always weeds growing in our ground, isn't there? Think about your life. Think about the things you face. There's always problems. There's always someone challenging what we're trying to do. We're setting out to do good and accomplish something significant. And yet, why is this? There's this pressure. There's this resistance. Yet, we were designed to move into that kind of an environment where there's resistance, competition, and still accomplish the things that God wants us to accomplish. When Adam sinned and he rebelled against God, this template was warped. The image was warped. It's kind of like a bad signal on your TV. The picture is no longer clear. It's kind of like the picture you see in the, you know, up on the screen or on your bulletin. It's, a, it's, a, it's somewhat of a reflection, but it's a poor reflection of, of reality. That's the life that we live in. Because of sin, instead of each of us just knowing what it means to be male and female, now the image of God in our lives has been distorted. And ultimately, if you eliminate the distinctiveness of the genders, families and all of society and relationships really will suffer. We looked at that last week. It's kind of like listening to, to music on a cell phone. Most cell phones, you've got a great, if you've got a great track, and you're like, I love this song. But you put it on a cell phone, you kind of miss the richness and the beauty of it, don't you? You're like, listen to this song, like, eh. But then you put it on a Bose surround sound system, and you hear all of the pieces, and you hear all the composition, and you're just like, wow, that's powerful. It's not the same on a cell phone. Well, yeah, not my cell phone. Well, even your cell phone. It's not the same you're missing some of the fullness there. And so that's kind of the idea. Since we've all rebelled, we've all gone our own way, we too experience 
much of the confusion on these differences between men and women. It's, it's, it's cloudy. Since we're talking about biblical manhood, it really helps us to consider what manhood is not. So this is what manhood is not. Um, in our culture, there's a common phrase. It's the phrase of, you the man. You the man. You've heard that phrase, right? You are the man. What does it mean? When guys say this to each other, it usually relates to something. Um, but manhood is not these things. Manhood is not success. You got a new job. You the man. You know. You got the date. You the man. <laughs> He's the man. There's a song about that. He's the man. You probably you may have heard that. I don't know, but manhood is not that. Manhood is also not status and materialism. Is that your car? Oh. You're the man. I want to be the man. Because that, wow. But manhood is not just that. Manhood is also not competition. You know, you won. Congratulations. You are the man. All these things within themselves, you know, they, they do not make you less of a man, more of a man. These are not the measuring stick of what real manhood is. Looking good, feeling good, that doesn't make us a man. Making X amount of money, having a certain amount in your bank account, that doesn't make you a man. On the contrary, in the Scriptures, men are made to do this. Men are made... They live by God's design by taking initiative and bearing responsibility. This is what it means to be a man. And, and this is unique amongst men in this world. There's a, there's a lot of man boys that, that, that really this, I think, is, is this is the direction that our culture of, of men need to move towards. And, and as a congregation, our, our aim is to, to work together and to call each other forward towards manhood. And Look at what this verse says, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Paul, he writes this. I'm going to read the verse and I'll explain why it's there. When I was a child, he said, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Very important verse. This is a great statement. A little context here. Paul, he is writing to a group of new Christians who need a description of what it means to love others God's way. Apparently, they were struggling with how to really love each other in the church. There was conflict. And so he addresses, here's what God's love really looks like. First Corinthians chapter 15 describes God's love. We're going to look at that actually in the next series and really flesh that out. Um, but in that, in that chapter 13, Paul shows how love should be really the fuel that keeps relationships going. That's the key to, I think, part of this passage in First Corinthians 13 is love is the fuel that keeps relationships really going. And in this context... Paul makes this gem of a statement which describes the picture of moving away from childish things. He's describing an understanding where, where we recognize and understand more and more of God's plan and we start living our lives, learning more, growing more, and moving away from childish ways and thinking to mature manhood. Uh, to this, you know, really Paul uses to show it, he shows or he gives just a simple illustration, something that, that we would... It's very clear. It provides a lot of direction, despite how simple what he's saying here is. 
Uh, becoming a man is a decision we make. It's not just an automatic stage of life. You don't just turn a man. You know, you're 18, you turned a man. It's actually a decision to make. There are young, there are people that we would consider boys that act like more of a man than some men in their man years, that we would call them. There are people that have had to grow up in their early years and bear responsibility because they had no other choice. They're acting more like a man than some man have acted as adults. And so, to show this, Paul, you know, he, he, he gives us something I think we could really uh, relate to. A child here, he says, if you go back to the verse, a child has little responsibility, they have little leadership, they, can, they can't handle that much pressure. We know this about kids. They're not meant to handle that much pressure. That's why we have um, parents when we're children, right? Yet God, God, God calls us to leave immaturity and to be the man that God has called us to be. All men really should want to hear God himself say to us, you are the man. You're being the man. That should be a desire inside of us. To hear God say, you've been the man. Well done. We do that by manning up in the ways that really please God. How do we do this? For all intents and purposes, let's picture a two-year-old here from his verse. Growing up means a few things. Growing up means I give up childish speaking. A two-year-old, what do they do? They, they whine, they complain, they demand. So some of the things we need to let go of is whining, complaining, demanding. That's how we were when we were boys. Growing up also means I give up childish thinking. A, a, a two-year-old thinks with the filter of this. Here's the filter that everything flows through for a two-year-old. It's all about me. <laughs> so from this flows self-centeredness, simple-mindedness. It's all about me. Um, reasoning. Growing up means I give up childish reasoning. Reasoned, the word reasoned here means to take an inventory or to account for something. And so thought is given as to what should be given the highest priority. That's when you reason more, you're, you're a little more, you know, you're reasoning, you're making better decisions on priority, you rank things differently. A two-year-old, however, is only focused on the here and now. Everything is important now. Everything is at the top of the priority list. There is no ordering. It's just now, now, now. I want my snack, and I want it now. I want a snack. I want a snack. I want a snack right now. And it comes out, and it comes out like... They can't even reason it. It comes out like, knack. It doesn't even say snack. Knack. Yeah, we know what they mean. They're asking for a snack. They say knack, but they're saying snack. Well, that's what they want. They want it now. I was at our, our son's ball game, um, middle of our season that we just finished, and sitting in the stands, and it's a hot day outside, and there's a kid from Gabe's team that climbs up the, the dugout, pops over his head over the over the dug out and, and yells into the crowd, where's my Gatorade? He's yelling at his parents. Where's my Gatorade? I was like, oh my gosh. And he's like, it's hot. Where's my Gatorade? And his, and his mom, he's getting it. He's in line. He's in. Where is it? Why is it? I'm like, uh, Somebody needs to do something about this. Well, what that is, is that's reasoning 
like a child still. Now, he's got some time. Parents are probably very much aware of the fact that, that there's some things that are, that are, that are uh, needing to be shaped there. Honestly, um, many of our kids, including my own, they do things that we realize you're still, you know, you're still a child. I need to keep this in mind. You know, when we're a child, we act like a child. I'm not saying that any of our kids, my own included, wouldn't crawl up and say something. And you're like, oh, please, not now. <laughs> you know, because when we're a child, we act, we speak, we th- you know, we reason, we think like a child. Parents, we have to train this out of our kids. We have to train them to think differently because this picture is all about sin. Sin is all about me and mine. But Paul states, boys can't just be boys forever. They need to grow up. And this is a choice that we make. It's a decision we make. If you're a man here today, the path for all of us is to continue to grow into the kind of man that God wants you to be. We can grow up by giving up. When Paul states, I gave up, when Paul states this, I gave up childish ways, the idea of giving up is to abolish. It's to bring to an end. God can't help us give up something, you know, we have, to, we have to choose to give up immaturity, and then he calls us to move forward from there. And God, you know, he, this is his desire for us in this room. Amen. And since the original image is distorted, then godly manhood, it must be chosen intentionally. And it must be sought by young men. It must be trained by the older men. This is what you find out in the book of Titus. Turn the corner, look into Titus, uh, find out what this really looks like. Titus chapter 2, verses 2 and 6. Um, some succinct yet pointed instruction for men in the book of Titus. Um, Titus was a, a Gentile. He wasn't a Jewish man. He converted to Christianity. Um, he worked with Paul helping others come to know Jesus Christ. He was one of Paul's traveling missionary partners. He traveled around, spread the message of Jesus, helped start churches. While he was planting churches, he got to watch um, problems crop up in churches. He got to see unhealthy patterns develop in relationships. And he saw often that people needed spiritual leadership and guidance if, if they were going to grow up. And so there needed to be structure and order and things that needed to happen in churches. Well, eventually, at a certain point, Paul left Titus on an island called the island of Crete. And Paul said, Titus, you're going to be the leader of this island. You're going to help lead the churches here. You're gonna, your primary job, Titus, is to develop leaders. You're going to make sure they get the right teaching here. And you're going to you know, instruct people on life, on relationships. And this was a highly unreached island, a lot of unchurched, you know, unreached people. And so in these verses, here's what he gives Titus. He gives him the manly qualities that all men need to grow toward. This is Titus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says this. It says, but as for you, again, Paul to Titus, as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Here's the things you need to teach. Things need to square up with sound doctrine, with right teaching. And then he gives them a list of topics to teach to the genders, and really the ages of the genders. He says, here's what you need to teach for the old men, then the young men, then the, I would say, older men, and the younger men. The, the older women and the younger women, he says. And really, this list is, is custom made. So look at what it says. Verse 2, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, Sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Then he says to the, to the younger men. He says, likewise, you urge the younger men to be self-controlled. This list is a custom-made list for the men 
in the church. In that church, or in those churches in the island of Crete, and in our church. And the churches around the world. Next week we're going to look at this same list, or the same passage in the list given for, for the ladies. Um, this list is not a photograph of the best looking guy in the world. This is not a list of the most interesting man in the world. It's a snapshot of the kind of character that a real man possesses. This is what we're aiming toward. This is the manly qualities that all of us need to grow towards as men. And he addresses them old, older and then younger. But these are, you know, this is, this is direction for us. Let's break it down just a little bit. And as I talk through these words, I want you to maybe jot these things down, maybe on the back somewhere. Um, first he says, the older men are to be sober-minded, okay? The word sober-minded, it just means, it can be translated restrained or temperate. A sober-minded man avoids extravagance and overindulgence. He's more careful, he's more selective than when he was younger and less mature. Um, his priorities are in the right order. He's sober-minded, he's clear-headed. If, if I were to receive a million dollars today, I would use it very differently than if I had received a million dollars when I was 15. And then when I was 18, I would, I would use it differently today. Um, there's some learning that goes on. With age and walking with God, you learn some things, you understand some things differently. Um, so he says, he tells Titus, the older men, they need to be sober-minded. They need to exercise some, uh, you know, there's, there's a different way of thinking of things. There's a different way of valuing things. Dignified is very similar. The word has to do with being honorable and worthy of respect, to be dignified. You know, it's not a word that we use, dignified, all that often. You never say, you're the man, you're dignified. <laughs> you'd, you'd probably not say that. But here, you know, basically older men have learned the value of people. They learned that people have been made in the image of God. They bear God's image. All people are, are important. All people have worth. They've seen the reality of Scripture play out time and time again. Because they've lived longer. They've walked with God longer, is the assumption here. A dignified man has a firmer grip on reality, they have a firmer grip on their own life, and because of that, they can detect ideas that are faulty, they can screen their humor, they screen their thoughts based on walking with God in reality for so many years. They, they're just more dignified. And they're worthy of respect because of that. Then he says, older men need to be self-controlled. Self-controlled, the Greek word that we translate self-controlled is really a word that has to do with exercising restraint over our impulses, over our emotions, and over our desires. Now, we need that. Again, the, the transition from boy to man is learning how to develop self-control. Learning how to rein in our impulses, our desires, our emotions. And men, you would think and you would hope that as you age, that getting older, that just self-control would just be a natural thing that you wouldn't battle. But that's just not the case. That's Paul still tells Titus, tell the older man to be self-controlled. That's because it's not something, the battle does not go away. Then he says to be sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. In other words, be sound in faith, be sound in love, be sound in steadfastness. Godly men who have been, you know, through 50, 60, 70 years of life have learned that God can be trusted in every area. They may not always trust Him in every area, but they've learned that God can be. They've seen God come through. And, and that's faith. 
And so because they've seen God come through, they take him seriously, and they, they keep relying on him. And so they're sound, like, man, this is, they have a sound faith. Paul's describing something to Titus that he wants them to be spotting and calling men towards. Then he says, sound in love. Older men are to keep aiming for, uh, to love God with a deeper devotion than they did in their younger years. Older men, you know, that's the encouragement. To keep loving God with a deeper devotion than you did even a few years ago. And then to love others in a more sacrificial way than you did a few years ago. That you keep taking initiative. See, this kind of love has to do with sacrifice and initiative to do what's right for the good of other people. The last thing he says is finally, they need to be sound in steadfastness. This word steadfastness, again, not a, not a familiar term for us usually in our language. They're instructed to hang in there. That's what that word means. Hang in there. Endure. Go through the hard times. Don't, when the pressure's on, when it's difficult, don't just, don't just look for the path out of there. Bear up under the pressure. Go through the disappointments. Bear up under the difficulties, even the losses. That's, that's, what, it, that's what it means. The word picture in Greek is two words. And it, the, the words just mean to remain under. So the picture is, the word picture is there's pressure coming down on us. And we, the word is hupomone. It means to under, remain. So remain up under the pressure that's pushing down on us. Rather than being like, finally I'm out from under that pressure. We recognize that the pressure we're under is actually a shaping tool in God's hands. And that he's using the, the, the weight of our lives and the things that are pressing down on us to shape us. This picture also has a sense that you keep under that pressure, you keep fighting the battle, even when you're cut off from resources and cut off from reinforcements. There's no, there's no, you're looking around, there's, there's, it's just you. You're bearing up under something. There's no one coming in to, to carry that load for you. You stay up under it. The guys I look up to have been bearing up under pressure and heading uphill in battles for decades. And I see them and it inspires me. And it's like, okay, I can hang in there. I can hang in there with this. Don't give in. Don't give in. Don't look for a way to find relief outside of God's will and God's ways. There's no vacation for, for godliness or from godliness. Remember, this was written to older men. Some of the worst decisions of all time have been made by men in their 50s. David with Bathsheba, he was an older man. An older man, a leader. As we grow, change can be much more difficult to accept. It's easy to become really a creature of habit. And so in, in older years, the longer you do something, the more deeply entrenched that pattern of thinking and doing really becomes a pattern. And then as we grow older, nobody, though, ever grows beyond needing to grow. It's just We have to just see ourselves as in perpetual need to grow. Humility is needed, though. Humility is needed as we grow and in holding on to uh, the progress that's made in different areas. And if you really want to help the younger guys, if you're an older man and you want to help the younger men of our church or the younger man in your life, then be forthcoming with them about your mistakes. Share with them what you would do differently. Don't just present a man who has everything together, but share. Here's the, here's the things that if I could... You know, here's the regrets I even have. Here's the areas where I'd just like to share with you out of my heartache. Um, share exactly what you would change if you could. That's really helpful. Titus is told, keep challenging the older men in the church to just keep growing. We should honor those in our congregation who have been walking faithfully with the Lord into old age. 
But a key assumption behind this passage is you don't ever retire from walking with God. A growing, you know, we never retire from growing. This is a daily choice. A couple men I want to highlight. One is Moses. Moses was, this is, you know, just a picture from a, a movie. Moses was 80 years old when God called him to lead Israel out of bondage. He was an older man. He was 80 years old and asked to, to lead in this way. John Wesley, a famous 18th century preacher in, in England, church leader, at the age of, the next slide, at the age of 83, after having preached 40,000 sermons and writing 200 books and pamphlets, he regretted that he was unable to read and write for more than 15 hours in a day. He was disappointed in himself at 83 that he was felt like he might have been running out of steam. And uh, After his 86th birthday, he admitted to an increasing tendency to lie in bed until 5.30 in the morning. He admitted it, you know. Yeah. Daylight's burning. He must, he must have, you know, this man lived a purposeful life. Very intentional. Some men commit themselves to Jesus later in life, and, and, and God begins to redeem or take Jesus. You know, some people commit their lives to Jesus later, and, and, and God redeems the rest of their days if they will keep yielding back to Jesus. That's a commitment we have to make wherever you're at. I don't know what age you are, but don't look at, well, here I am, done all this, and got my past, and I don't know what to do now. Again, God can begin to redeem your future if you'll yield the rest of your days to Him. I want you to hear from Bruce Stewart. He's um, one of the men in our congregation. He's a small group leader. Bruce, if you would mind making your way up here. Um, he's a small group leader, and he is, uh, his small group just wrapped up, and he's married, lives here in Riverside, and you can come on up here. And I wanted you to hear um, from him. He chose to follow Christ early on in life. He'll tell you a little bit about that, and um, has been walking with God since mi- his mid-30s, and um, seriously walking with God since his mid-30s. He's going to just share about how, briefly, about how has following Jesus made him more of a man. Okay? So, let's hear from Bruce. Well, first of all, thank you, Jeff. Um, I, I think one of the, one of the things that's just kind of followed uh, my growth as a man and uh, is is kind of a, a journey of maturity. We need to put yeah. There it is. And uh, there it is. and so for me, the the journey of maturity uh, kind of involved a circuitous route. In that uh, I came to know the Lord, uh, well, I, I made a commitment to the Lord at about age 12, but I didn't really walk with the Lord. Uh, what I did was just kind of stagnate, and I just walked through life, and, uh, and I let a lot of things happen in my life that uh, shouldn't have happened. And then I, at about uh, my early 30s uh, to mid-30s, I made a commitment to the Lord that uh, I wanted to, to grow. I wanted to make the Lord, uh, as, as Josh says so many times, boss of my life. And so uh, what it amounted to was kind of I would go, go through uh, using a lot of the tenets and the, and the principles that we've learned here this morning uh, that lead towards maturity – but I would find myself doing circles back to, uh, to things, failures in my life, to, uh, to past patterns in my life. And so uh, when I found myself doing that, 
I had to figure out what it was that was leading me back to these points and what changes I needed to make in order to uh, bring about the changes that would actually move me towards maturity. And so I did a lot of uh, self-talk, uh, which is the same thing as talking to yourself, but, but it sounds better to say self-talk. And, and so uh, w- what I did with that was basically, you know, I would pray, I would talk to myself, and I would say, what are you doing? What steps are you taking? You know, what is it that's, uh, that's leading you back to these things? And so I had to make those changes in my life in order to, uh, to actually get the maturity that I, that I thought I needed in my life. And, uh, and not that I've attained that. Uh, you know, I don't want to stand up here and say that I'm totally mature. I, you know, I'm pretty much a kid still. But, uh, but I, looking around, I do see that I'm probably one of the most senior people in, in the room. And so uh, I have gained a lot of uh, experience, if you will, uh, in, in working through these issues and working through towards uh, the spiritual maturity that I desired in my life. And so Josh has, has also asked me to, uh, to give a charge to, to the men of OCC. And what I would say is to work towards that maturity, to growth, and to doing. And the maturity uh, thing is obviously, the, you know, following the tenets that, uh, that were laid forth this morning, uh, and, and actually striving for those things and praying and leading towards and using the tools that OCC has for you. Uh, there's growth groups, there's uh, discipleship groups, and all those things are, are important to your, your actual maturity, and it will cause you to, to grow and mature. But uh, one of the other things is, is the doing. So many times we have uh, our desires to to do things, and, and we say that we're going to do it, and uh, we're going to, at some point, we're going to go on that mission trip, or we're going to lead that class, or we're going to do something. But there's no substitute for the doing, because uh, you have to move forward. You have to actually uh, just keep moving, and, and uh, no matter where you find yourself in life, uh, at whatever age it is, you have talents, you have uh, abilities, you have resources that you can contribute to the kingdom of God. And I think it's important that you uh, you do those things. So, thank you. Appreciate it. That's that's a great challenge to do to be a doer. Um, appreciate Bruce and his wife's investment in uh, plugging into our church. They've probably been around I don't know now two to three years, and uh, three years, and. When they got involved here, they started serving, and, and I appreciate how he just came in and started serving, plugging in, figure out what, what is needed, and, um, and then over time, we uh, asked him to be one of our leaders, and uh, as, we, as we felt that he was qualified to, to lead here, and uh, he had he'd been a leader in other churches before and, and came and, and just got involved in serving, and that's, that's again, that's a mark of maturity is um, just choosing to um, wait on God. To, for his timing, for God's timing to exalt a person and to not just just decide, I've, I'm here and I've arrived. And so I appreciate your humility, Bruce, in, in that. And um, thanks for sharing your story. Bruce retired as a retired colonel from March Air Base. And so um, he led different men of different ranks. And so um, anyway, you might, if you got a moment, say hi to Bruce if you've not met him before. And if you've got questions, there's something maybe you'd like to get input from from one of the older men of our church. I know we'd love to encourage you as you're walking with God. Um, 
after Paul addresses the older men, and we're wrapping things up, he tells Titus that younger men need to double their effort on self-control. Okay? He already tells the older men self-control is part of it, but then to the younger men, he uses this one verse, 2-6, Titus 2-6, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Long list for the old men, one thing for the younger men. <laughs> younger men, this, is, this word self-control is the same word that he used in the, for the older men. It just means to, uh, learning to exercise restraint over our impulses, over our emotions and our desires. Learning to rein in those things that can just really wreak havoc. Self-control is mentioned again for the younger guys because it's, it's easy for a younger man to be more reckless, to be more impulsive when we're younger. And that can create some lifelong habits, but not just habits. They can create consequences for those habits. Um, and, and, and I know I have had to face some really difficult things and, and try to really yield habits. And, and what helps is when you follow the fruit of those habits to their consequences. And so self-control, a person with self-control, has yielded to God's spirit. God's spirit grows the fruit of self-control in our life. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians says, this is kind of the evidence that Jesus is really in there. Then these fruit, fruit start growing in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. And so, as we feed on God's Word, as we yield ourselves daily to God's ways, and then as we pay attention to the fruit of our lives, or the results of our words and our actions, even our bad fruit, as we pay attention to the bad fruit that grows from bad habits, and we say, I don't want that growing in my life. I see the connection between what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, what I'm mulling on, where I'm putting my time and focus, and the fruit that grows out of that. As you pay attention to the fruit, follow the fruit. Follow the fruit in your life. What's, grow, what's growing up there? This self-control issue will be the primary battle for the men here in this room. And, and this will be something we'll, we'll battle together, Lord willing. Um, we plan to really launch and talk more about um, you know, in some men's meetings in the fall to talk more as men together about some of these topics. And so for those of you who are fathers of boys, um, I hope that this has been helpful to you as you're considering how do I call the right things out in my son or my sons? Or, or if you're an older man in our congregation and maybe you're asking the question, how do I call the right things out of the young men in this church? These things that we looked at are the right things to call out of the men in our church and maybe in your home and in your home certainly as well. These qualities are the most strategic qualities to call boys and teens and men towards. We have a crucial role to play in this world, men. Um, part of that is to instruct the next generation of men. Again, the boys in this church, the teens in this church, they will not just all of a sudden appear in society as men. They must be developed. They must be trained. And they must also be inspired. One of the ways we inspire it is we provide real-life examples before them. And that's the role that many of you can play here. Some of you here will be the heroes of the next generation that is growing up in this city, in this community, in this congregation. And just make sure that you don't um, declare yourself hero. Make sure you don't give yourself the hero award. Let others praise you. Your part is really to stay focused and ask God to help you become more sober-minded, more dignified, more self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. Those are what we're aiming for. Don't push for privilege. Instead, in humility, let God just exalt you in his timing. I'd like to wrap this up by uh, asking our worship team to come back up to the stage and also the ushers to prepare to receive.
the offering this morning. On the back of the connection card this morning, you'll notice there's some blank um, boxes. And those are for you to, to write in a next step. Um, so here's a couple next steps. Also, the events area that's blank. If there's an event you'd like to sign up for, just write the name of that event in the middle of that box. And then we'll know to, uh, to sign you up for that event. That really is important for us. It helps us plan to make sure we have enough uh, of uh, resources for those events. Here's three next steps. One is memorizing that Titus 2-2 two and, two, two and verse 6. Maybe pick the one that most applies to you. Um, identify a childish way to give up. Third, take my place in humility among the tribe of men in OCC. There's a tribe, a growing tribe of men that really desire to walk with God here. So really a decision. I want to take my place and be a part of that in humility. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your love, for your goodness. And Lord, thank you for your word and how it provides the picture for our lives. Both for our own lives and for our parenting, for the mentoring that goes on in this church, for the discipling, for the training. We don't need to turn anywhere else, Lord. We can turn to you. You've given us the guidance we really need for the here and now. And, Lord, to walk wisely into the future until we see you face to face. Lord, we recognize there's a lot of things right now, this side of heaven, that are just undone and unfinished. And so, God, it's in our hearts where we just we cry out to you and we ask you to help us to change us, to grow us, to equip us, to fortify us as men, to be strong and courageous, to move confidently into this world, not arrogantly, but confidently in this world, to take ground for our families, for the kingdom of God. I pray your protection over every man in this room, all the boys, the kids zone, all the teens. I pray for all the men right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would you strengthen us? Would you infuse courage into us? Lord, would you help us to battle? Battle with our flesh, battle with pressures of this world. Help us to just keep yielding to you. Lord, help us not to miss what you have in this life as we chase fantasies. Lord, pray that we would be men who get a firm grip on reality keep moving forward together. Lord, strengthen us. Help us to, to really be a band of brothers together. Call each other forward. Call, call each other on things even. Lord, thank you for this group. I pray for each one. Lord, may they feel just an internal strength rising up in them, Lord, as you call them forward to be the man you've designed them to be. Lord, we ask you for the help that we need from you, you alone. In Jesus' name.